It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Harriet Kamak, and this is Down to Earth. It's a show in which we talk about down-to-earth matters. And I'm going to adjust this camera just a little bit just to uh, not show that bright light in the background <laughs> that we, are, we have. And I probably have my TV in the background tuned to CNN because it's expected that the president will arrive in Kenosha, Wisconsin momentarily. And Kenosha, as you know, has been the scene of racial unrest since last Sunday's shooting of Jacob Blake, an unarmed black man who was shot in his back seven times by white Kenosha police officers. Significantly since then, Mr. Blake was shackled to his bed. His attorneys have since advocated and have since asked for the shackles to be removed. Uh, Coincidentally, the police claimed that Mr. Blake was shackled because he had a previous sexual assault uh, arrest warrant outstanding. That claim has now been disproven because it seems the police just wanted to keep him shackled as evidence of their ongoing racial bias towards people of color. That is something that has created racial tension in this, in this country, and that is something that has been ongoing for more than 400 years. And now the, the, the blades are off, the, the blinds have been lifted. We're all seeing racial violence. We're all seeing the biases that exist not just in law enforcement, but in every sector, but primarily in law enforcement because the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, and other white nationalists have infiltrated and penetrated police departments across the country. And in penetrating police departments, they're carrying out their exacerbated agenda of the genocide of black people. And in that regard, we're seeing this unrest. It is incredible to me that a sitting president is going to endorse people who are shooting unarmed protesters. I suspect that there is going to be some kind of blowback from that eventually when we have waken up out of this collective national numbness and we reconcile with ourselves that we actually elected someone who is telling Americans to open fire on Americans, meaning you're asking and advocating for a civil war, we're going to have a problem. There's going to be a national reckoning. It's, it goes beyond the election. Because the elections are counted already. As far as I'm concerned, it's clear that Joe Biden is going to win the presidency. It's very clear. Nobody in their right mind. And there are French supporters. Yes, there are. There are not enough of them to convincingly convince the rest of us that this president who has endorsed violence in the streets of America made it unsafe for everyday Americans to go about their business. There's no way that he's going to win. And so when you look at it, we have to deal with this national reckoning, even after the elections are over. We're going to have to deal with ourselves and look within ourselves and ask us, what of us, what have we become? How far have we strayed from what we thought was the promise of America, what we thought was the ideal of America? And is this the nation we want to live in? We're in a place like Kenosha that is 67% white. So the Kenosha is actually whiter than the nation. Because America is no longer 67% white. The number is closer to 58%. 
a number that is going to decline by the year 2030. And by the year 2040, that number is going to be significantly lower than 50%. So the nation is no longer majority white. That, that, that is over. Between now and 2030, white people can't have enough children to increase it because this has been happening generationally. Right? So when you look at it, you have to ask yourself, well, what are, what are we becoming? What, what of us? What have we become? I, sus- I suspect that that's the national reckoning that is about to take place even after the elections. We still are going to have to sit down and ask ourselves these questions and form a pathway forward so that this never happens again. And talking about people and reckoning, we also have a global reckoning that is on our doorstep, something that we really pay attention to. It's the great climate migration. I know you've heard the term climate change, but I'm beginning to think that climate change is a misnomer. It does not address all the factors that are impacting climate and the changes that it brings to populations and population densities in places around the globe. At first, we thought, well, this doesn't happen in America. Well, yesterday we did a podcast in which we talked about how climate change is impacting America right now in some of our largest cities. We know it happens in in Arizona, but we thought, well, Arizona is always hot. But Arizona has been increasingly hot over the last 40 years since 1970. Minnesota, one of the coldest states in the nation, like in Minnesota, people call it Minnesota because it always seems to snow there. But Minneapolis has now become the hottest cold city, large cold city in America. That's something to think about. Here in the Detroit area, we've seen climate change, how it has impacted us. But what about a question I want to throw at you? Really, I want to throw this out there to my audience. I want to ask you something. Do you believe that the people who are trying to get across the border Do you believe that there might have been something pushing them to do it? You're going to be surprised to find out that the real reason people were rushing to get across the border was climate change. I now begin to think that we have a climate crisis worldwide on our hands. And I'm I'm beginning to accept that we know very little about it. And the very little that we knew might have spurned some of us to ignore the science and the data. We accept science when it's convenient. We accept science when you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you you have to change, otherwise you're going to contract some kind of chronic disease, right? We accept science. We accept science when you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you your loved one is not going to live because they have a chronic disease. We accept science. When it tells us that, you know, what goes up must come down, so you live for seven years, but at some point you're going to topple. We accept science then. But we don't seem to accept science in terms of the environment. You know why? Because we've lived. And after, and the older people are, it seems to me the older you get is the more willing, less willing you are and the less likely you are to accept the science of climate change because you're like, I've been around forever. I've seen my grandparents and parents grew up and blah, blah, blah. There is a reason for that. <laughs> it's not just that it's called science. It's called data, quite frankly. What scientists are now saying is that, let me read this for you, because I want to make sure I get this to you clearly in your mind. 
the planet, according to a report in the New York Times, the planet could see a greater temperature increase in 50 years. Greater temperature increase in, the, in 50 years, in the next 50 years, in 2070, than we have seen in the last 6,000 years. That is why we cannot believe climate change. Because we're looking at the evidence, and we're looking at the past. And we're like, but it's been a while since the planet has been here. It's been a while since America has been in the same place. Europe has been in the same place. Africa has been in the same place. India has been in the same place. China has been in the same place. For goodness sake, South America has always been south of the border. It's been a while. So it's hard to accept that things have rapidly declined. But let me give you the facts. The facts are that the pace of our modern life Let's say the Industrial Revolution started in the 1700s, but we didn't become automated until the early 20th century. Well, in the last 100 years, we have automated to the point where it has exacerbated the climate change effect. We are so automated, everything is run by motors. Have you ever heard the hum above the planet? The planet literally hums with all the motors that are going. You remember during the pandemic, when everything had shut down, and they said that the bullet train that ran in, 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 in Tokyo, in Japan, and other parts of the world, that, that train caused so much vibration that each time it went around, it was moving so fast, the earth literally shook. But when it stopped and slowed down, everything went still. All our motors continually go, the motors that drive our factories, the motors that run our air conditioners and run our heating systems and cooling systems and drive the production of our plants and industry. All of those emit gases. All of those that drive nuclear power plants that we derive power from, all the power that drives water turbines to contain and convert water into electricity, all of those are driven by motors that emits heat into the atmosphere that continually warms the planet and is exacerbating what we call climate change. That's the story. Nothing else, nothing more complicated. It's not an equation of Z plus B equals A. It's not convoluted. It's not complicated. It's simple, basic facts. The facts of human life are that our automated processes have contributed to climate change, and it's causing the planet to die. That's it. If you thought you needed a Hollywood reporter or you needed a Hollywood celebrity to make the case, here it is. It's that simple. Now, what this has happened is that this is now producing a crisis of sorts. The crisis is called climate migration. You remember some years ago, I believe it was, Obama might have still been president towards the end of his presidency, we began to see a migration from the Middle East into North America. A lot of it was spurned by the violence in Syria. Remember that? So people in Syria were traveling through Africa and North Africa to head into Europe because they were fleeing the violence. That stupid man, Assad, destroyed his whole country for power. Assad kind of looks like the guy we have now who is destroying his whole country for power. Assad didn't care if he decimated the country, if he tore down historical artifacts that had been there for thousands of years. All he was concerned about was having 
power. And if he had to kill off everybody in Syria, if he had to destroy the country to do it, then he would do it. Same thing we're having now. This guy believes that for him to have power, he has to divide us. For him to keep power, he doesn't care if the whole country burns. He doesn't care if everybody's out as long as he has power. So if he finds some people over there who likes his idea, he sides with them. Even if they're preaching, they're going to march and tear the streets down. He's still going to side with them. It's called power. What uh, were the unintended consequences of what happened in Syria? was that people began to migrate. When they started moving through Europe and Africa, you already have Africa, a a, a continent with a litany of countries that have already devolved into civil war, that have already been experienced climate change for for decades now. Nobody paid attention to Africa because Africa is primarily made up of black people. Who cares about black people? They don't even care about the black people who live in Kenosha or in Minneapolis nor in Detroit. Or in Chicago or Baltimore, they don't care. So who is going to care about the black people living in Africa if they don't care about the black people, the millions who live here in the U.S., of which I'm one of them? So how are they going to care about black people in Africa? So the Syrians joined with black people who were desperate to flee what we call climate crisis. And they were moving into North America, into Europe, and Europe said, hold up. Wait just a minute. Who are all these people coming and where are they coming from? What they have with them? Germany said, well, we kind of need engineers and our population is aging. So we probably need to find a way to make these people start paying taxes. It will increase our population eventually. And other parts of Europe were like, huh, no, not quite so. We don't want those people. Then people within the populations began to say, Germany for the Germans, you know, the populist twang, Germany for the Germans, England for the English, the usual stuff, right? What we did not take into factoring is that this was caused by climate change. What we did not factor in that a lot of these people had been displaced because over decades of climate change, droughts, and then floods, so you can't, the land is dry. You don't see rain for five years, and then all of a sudden it rains, but instead of it being temperamental rain or tempered rain, it becomes a flood, so it runs out your seeds. Climate change causes a climate crisis, and people are starving, literally. People are hungry and starving. In one place in Guatemala, we're going to look at Guatemala in Central America, has anybody ever wondered why these folks are coming from Central America. It was something that intrigued me, I'm going to confess, because separate and apart from what I knew were the social issues such as violence against women and that there were bands of marauders who were going through the countryside and through citizen towns, killing off people and leaving women without protection. So there was significant violence against women and children. But I began to wonder, well, what was spurring the violence? In the first place, I'm like, people don't just get up and start fighting. There's got to be something that makes people frustrated. So I began to look at what it is that was making people like this. And you know what I found? Climate crisis. Look at it this way. A lot of the folks in Guatemala, they live in the rural areas, right? So, and this is happening, I'm going to show you how it is happening, not just in in Guatemala and Central America, but it's happening 
in Africa and it's happening even in the Mekong Delta. What is happening is that people in the rural areas who are dependent on farming, they're dependent on the crops. So there is a pattern to the land. There's a time to plant, as we call it a plant, time to sow, and there's a time to reap. The, the land has to be left fallow. You plant the crops, then it grows, you reap it, and you leave it for a week or two or a month or two, and then you go back and you plant the land again. A lot of people who were rural farmers found that they could not eat off their land. They had loans on the farms. So they couldn't plant on the farms. So they'd borrow more money to get more seed. Then the drought would come and it wouldn't rain for years at a time, for a whole year, a whole year, years. And then all of a sudden it would rain. But the rain would produce a flood because there was a river nearby that overflowed its banks, wipe out all the crops. So you'd go out and take out another loan and the cycle continues until guess what happened? Climate change produces drought because they exacerbated the emissions that come from our modern way of life, make it harder for the planet to cool down. So the planet isn't sweating. It isn't cooling down. It's just hot, hot, hot. It produces ex exceptional heat. Then it eventually rains. The rains don't just come as rain. We're seeing that even in Michigan. We're having more flooding in areas in Michigan than we have ever had before. But we're not looking at it we're looking at it as isolated incidents instead of looking at it as part of a collective problem. Do you see what I'm saying? So instead of looking at it as this is an incident that causes flooding, no, we're looking at it as part of an isolated problem. And looking at it, well, it just floods when it rains and leave it at that instead of, wait a minute, but didn't it flood last year? Didn't it flood the year before? Didn't it flood, why is it flooding so frequently? That should be the way we think, but we're not. So you have these farmers out in Central America, they're in Africa, and they're in the central parts of Africa, and they're in, 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 in parts of the, the Far East. And what happens is this drought happens caused by climate change, caused by the emissions and the heating up and the warming of the planet. And then it happens, and then the rains come. And then the rains wash the crops out. What does that lead to? It breeds starvation. So you can't eat off the land. So you, the farmer, your family, are hungry. But you're, you're, you, you still have a loan on the farm. And then you end up bankrupt. So people start fleeing these mountainous areas. They say that parts of Guatemala will become a desert by 2050. Check that out. Semi-arid parts of Guatemala may become a desert. And you're wondering why all these people flee to the U.S. It wasn't just the violence they were fleeing. They were fleeing the ravages of climate change, the ravages of what climate change has produced that we now call a climate crisis, that we wish we could get people to wrap our minds around it. This is not just happening in Guatemala. It's already happening in parts of the U.S. It's happening even in parts of Colorado that are becoming drier and drier, happening in parts of Utah that are becoming drier and drier. Like I said, we're not paying attention to it as part of accumulative collective data. We're looking at it as isolated incidents. And what needs to happen is we need to have a plan. We need to have a national plan on how we're going to address this, because check this out. 
as more and more parts of Central America, more and more parts of South America and Central America become dry and arid, people are going to flee north. It is estimated. It is estimated that by the year 2050, 680,000 people would have legally emigrated to the U.S. If you are going to count the number of undocumented, that's going to be way more. 680,000 people are going to move. In the last several years, 8 million people have moved to the Middle East, to Europe, and North America. Now, we could change this collectively if we develop models to plan for this. In, in other words, what I'm saying is the, the southern states that are most likely, that are likely to receive the first burgeoning group of people running from climate crisis, because what happens in their countries is that climate change produces starvation. Climate change has robbed them of their land and robbed them of their, 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 their connection to the land and their foothold on the land. It, it, it makes them have no threat. They have no thresholds. They have nothing. So climate change is propelling them to move north. It's, it's almost a human survival instinct to go somewhere where it's going to be cooler, North America, northern lands, and where it's going to be what? Somewhere you can at least eat. It's human survival instinct. So these folks are going to continue to come across the border. So what southern states should do, what the national attention and agenda should be, finding a plan that is going to help those people when they do come across to integrate legally so they can be counted, so they can be accounted for, so we know who is here, where you came from, why are you here. Then we know what kind of resources do we appropriate. That's what is called planning. We're not doing that. What we're doing is saying America for Americans who are white. But that is not reflective of the population. We're not 67% white anymore. It is what it is. The same is true of Europe. People are fleeing the Middle East, the Mekong Delta, and Africa, and they're going north to Europe. Europe needs to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, Angela Merkel in, in Germany had come forward with a plan. France, not so much. But France has been taking money and resources from African nations for centuries, it, it kind of surprised me that they didn't come up with a plan. But not surprised because there's still a colonial mentality. Yes, France is. I'm not a fan. I'm so not a fan. Right? So according to this report, the planet could see a greater temperature increase in 50 years than in the last 6,000 years. I dare say this is what we have been missing. By 2100, the year 2100, temperatures could run up to the point, could increase to the point where in some places like India and East China, going outside for a few hours per day will result in death for the fittest humans. Climate change. In the African Sahel, in that vast region of Africa, a vast number of the world's population are moving to the coast. It's happening everywhere. It's happening even in Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, and so on. Rural people who are the farmers 
are gradually moving to the, the coast. They're moving to areas that are more urbanized, more planning, where they can get work so they can eat. Are you hearing me? We're seeing the same thing here in America. They, they, call, they created tariffs and China wars and trade wars that shut down farming. And then the agriculture secretary had the nerve to go tell farmers, go get a job. Well, a lot of farmers lost their land. The banks came and foreclosed on their property, so they had to go move to the city and get a job. What that does is it creates more what? Urbanization. We end up in more of a concrete jungle because we're going to have to build what? More towers and more buildings to accommodate people. So we're going to what? Emit more gases into the atmosphere. Now we need to lift our hats to the people and the scientists who have been talking about this for 30 years. We thought they were way out there somewhere. They were looking at the data and seeing how it was going to progress, but nobody wanted to listen. We thought they were too hippies and they had nothing else to do but to go look at stuff that doesn't exist. And now we need to recognize that they were right and they are right because the evidence is now showing up right in our faces. We have seen a rapid increase in climate change than we've seen in the last 6,000 years. That's why we couldn't accept it. We could not accept that it could change so quickly. But we also have to look at the pace of our modern life. Since the early uh, 20th century, we have changed dramatically. Everything is automated and run by a motor. I used to make a joke when, I, when my kids were little that General Motors is the motor that keeps everything going. Because not GM as in you know, we think of GM as just an automated automation plant. No, GM automates a lot of motors. Our cars are not the only motors they make. <laughs> it's just like General Electric. You would think that GE only makes stoves and refrigerators. No, General Electric. They make everything that is electric. Same thing with General Motors. They make a lot of motors, <laughs> right? They make motors that propel industry. So a lot of the stuff you see on our towers, the elevators that keep them going, the boilers that are in the basements that they have to put pipes in the buildings to take the, the, the fumes out, all of that is contributing to our climate crisis. So the more people move from the rural areas into urban areas is the more of a problem we're going to have. And if we don't plan for this then and plan for sustainability, when you hear terms like that, we dismiss it. Like, what are people talking about? But it is real. And sometimes the problem with science is that because science is, science is not perceived, because you don't see it, you don't believe it. In that regard, we walk by faith. We walk by sight, not by faith. I'm not saying you need faith to see science. I'm just saying because you don't see climate change, you don't believe it. But then you don't live in rural areas, do you? Do you live in Guatemala? Do you live in the Mekong Delta? Talk to those folks who have faced starvation. It is said that in Guatemala, a lot of kids, a lot of people whose children grew up without food and are hungry, they're what you would call chronically hungry. The children are develop, developmentally delayed physically because their bones just never got a chance to grow. This explains a lot why people from other ethnic lands come here and then the next generation, they're as tall as everybody else. And their parents are like, how, how, how are they tall? Because, you know, nobody in their family is tall. And I'm like, different culture. 
access to food. Generations of being deprived of access to food that you eat every day, of course you're going to be slimmer. We're here, we throw out more food than we can eat. Sometimes I have to ask God to help me. I cry when I see what sits in my refrigerator for too long. I tell you the honest truth. I have to ask God to forgive me for ever not giving thanks for what I have. Amen? What we're looking at is that climate change is producing wars. The United Nations believe that eventually the remapping of the world's populations will take place. Here's why. As people begin moving from the, from, the, from the rural areas into coastal areas and areas where they can have access to water and food, what it does is it remaps populations. What that also means is that more areas of the world are likely to fall into war. You best believe that that will happen. More areas of the world will likely fall into war. It is going to change the face of humanity as we see it. Uh, I have in the background my screensaver. And just a few, you know, just a few minutes ago, it focused on an area in, in Ethiopia, Africa, that is a desert. You have to, you know, I was just, it was kind of ironic to me because I was just getting ready to talk about the great, great climate migration. <laughs> and then the screensaver shifted to some place, to a desert in Ethiopia. And I looked at it and I said, then how do you expect people to live there where the mountains and the land is so dry? It's less than dust where it's so hot. If you drive through there, you can't drive through there at certain times of the day because the asphalt will peel off the tires, the rubber on your cars. How are you supposed to live? Well, that's the same question that is producing this. We already are seeing this. Listen to this. 30 million people could cross the U.S. border in 30 years. We've seen how the great climate migration began. As crops fail and climate crisis resounds, Hundreds of millions of people from Central America to the Sudan to the Mekong Delta will have no choice but to leave their land. They're going to choose between flight and death. This is the greatest global migration the world has seen, and it has already begun. According to a recent study in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, the planet could see a greater temperature increase in the next 50 years than in the last 6,000 years combined. By 2070, scientists predict that the kind of extremely hot zones, like in the Sahara, that covers less than that now covers less than 1% of the Earth's land surface and covers nearly a fifth of the land. This shift in temperatures could place one of every three people alive outside the climate niche where humans have thrived for thousands of years. What that means is that many people are going to suffer through the heat and hunger, but there's going to be political chaos. We're already seeing it in Africa. We just never paid attention to it. All the uprisings we saw, people didn't have access to food and water. 
I am a little bit concerned about it because I've been talking about this for some time. In, in, in Central America, we're aware of the weather phenomena called El Nino, right? El Nino produces this effect where it becomes dry and then it rains, and it becomes dry and then it rains. And when it, it's dry for extended periods of time, then it dries up the earth. So the plants don't grow. The trees don't get to spread their roots out. So the trees hold the soil so that when the rains come, it's not a flood. But when the, there is no rain and the trees dry up and all the plants dry up and you don't have that, you've heard people talk about the ecosystem, it's true, and you've, you don't have the forest that is green, that encourages rain to fall on the land, naturally what you're going to have happen is climate change. You're going to have floods next. And when the floods come, it destroys civilization, it destroys people's homes, it destroys people's farms, and it destroys crops. Now, check this out. The world, as we know it, is going to change because people are moving from other parts of the world into north, north in, into Europe. They're moving north into Europe. People from the south are moving into the Middle East. They're moving into North, into, into North Africa. They're moving through eventually to going to Europe. It's almost as if they're being spurned on by this human instinct for survival. That I've got to get away from this heat that I know is coming. Do you know that it says that 1% of the world is, bare, is in a hot zone that is barely livable? By 2070, that's just 50 years from now, that could go up to 19%. My youngest daughter is 18 now. In 50 years, she'll be 68. This is going to happen in her lifetime. I dare say she's not going to forgive me and my generation before, like, y'all didn't do anything. Y'all helped this to happen. 1% of the world in hot zones right now is barely livable. Places like Death Valley, places like in Guatemala, places in Argentina. We haven't even examined the data from South America because they won't let anybody in. Right, but look at places even in Mexico. You look at places in the Middle East, in in, in and in the Sahara Desert surrounding uh, Central Africa. Just look at places in Africa. It is barely livable. By 2070, that is going to go up to 19 percent. That's a whole big swath of the the Earth's land surface that is going to be unlivable. You know what's going to happen in a few years? People are going to find ways. When I was growing up, they had this big thing called desalination, right, where they thought of converting seawater into fresh water. For some reason, they don't do it in California because they say it, it, it is not sufficient and there are all sorts of reasons. I've never really examined the reasons why they don't do it in California. But we're looking in real time at what this could produce. We're looking in real time at how the search for water and food is a form of human survival. And people are going to run from hot zones. I remember watching uh, people trying desperately to get into Africans, moving through North Africa. They would even walk through the Italian Alps. They would walk through mountains and walk barefooted in snow just to get to Europe, to move into places like Belgium, to move into places where traditionally they wouldn't go because people are searching for food and access to water because the world is becoming hotter and hotter and hotter. Here, I'm glad I live in the Midwest. I kid you not. I feel as if 
I'm never moving from the Midwest. I used to think I would move back to Florida, you know. That's a fantasy. Because in reality, I'm grounded in reality. The reality is the Florida is getting hotter. And I'm not about to go live among snakes and alligators. It's not, it's not my thing. I'm not about to live in heat that I can't breathe. I can barely manage the heat that happens here in the Midwest, in Michigan. How am I going to tolerate the heat in Africa? If the temperature yesterday went up to, I think, 90 degrees, I went outside with my hat on. And I was like, darn, it's hot out here. And this is Michigan. How am I going to tolerate the heat in Florida? How could I tolerate the heat in Phoenix, Arizona? And these are states within the United States. Geographically, the United States is located in the northern hemisphere of the world. We're supposed to be cooler. No, we're not. Climate change does not evaporate. Are you hearing me? Climate change is not going to go away. Climate change is now producing a climate crisis. And we've got to get to the stage where we understand that. I don't agree with the Green Deal and making blanket changes. That is not doable, nor livable, nor something that is enforceable. We need to find practical solutions that affect and apply that are that in real time that can impact populations. We need to shift our focus from shutting and sealing our borders off, but instead looking at ways in which we can help people because it's going to happen. If they're desperate enough, they will tear the borders down. The only way you can enforce a border between the United States and Mexico is to put up a border between Mexico and Guatemala. You can do that. You want to enforce the borders? Put up one between Mexico and Guatemala. That's more enforceable. But putting up a border in the southern United States between us and Mexico is counterintuitive and counterproductive because people are still going to find a way. If they have to go into the Gulf of Mexico, and go up it through Louisiana and Texas, they're going to because climate change is proving that it is something that they can't handle. Ladies and gentlemen, we're humans. We all have an instinct for survival. We all want to survive. And from what I have read and I can see, it seems that this is accelerated and is accelerating faster than a moving bullet train. It seems to me that the more successful we're going to be is to find ways to figure this problem out. It's one of two things. Either you're going to invest in, in, in areas like Guatemala and reduce the effects of climate change by re, uh, retrenching rivers so they flow away from where people's farms are, by creating wet zones so the rain can fall that can attract the rain. When I was growing up, they used to do a thing called seeding the sky where they would send a plane out and it would put some, uh, it would literally push the clouds to form water so it would come down as rain. Whatever it is that we need to do, we need to do it because this is going to affect all of us. So if you don't want people to come into the country, why don't you put some investment into their country? If Europe doesn't want Africans to go into Europe, then put some investment in Africa to reduce climate change and to help people who are at war and into the Mekong Delta, because after all, Europeans did travel to other parts of the world. And a lot of what we're seeing now is the result and the after effects of colonialism. 
we do live in a post-colonial world, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Climate change is real. And climate change has now produced a climate crisis. Let me give you some further facts. Here are some, some scenarios that are likely to happen. I kid you not. Uh, we're looking at a, a model that shows how political responses could impact climate change, right? If, if, if of course, we do something about uh, climate emissions, that means we control what kind of cars we drive and how much emissions goes into the atmosphere, then, of course, we could reduce that, but we never do that because we listen to industry. Industry employs lobbyists who pay governments to do what they want to do. So you and I look like we're going to have to employ lobbyists to pay governments to do what we want to do, right? About 680,000 climate migrants in one model might move from Central America and Mexico to the United States between now and 2050. Of course, if we don't do anything to change emissions, reduce climate change, reduce the, the planet heating up, of course, that could be more. So political responses are most likely going to be the deciding factor, right? Is that clear? Yep. Right? So eventually, the whole world is going to look like it's in, on fire. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> As the climate changes, guess what? Drought and food insecurity is an issue. And it's going to drive people in rural parts of Central America to flee north. It's going to drive people in rural parts of Africa to flee north, in parts of the, in the Far East to flee North, it's going to drive people out of their countryside, right? People are going to go to big cities. That's the first place they're going to think of. They're going to think, if I go to the next big city, I can live. But big cities are not going to be able to cope with the vast numbers of people coming in. So there's going to be violence. There's going to be crime. And then people are going to say, you know what? Stand for me to head north. Let's go somewhere else. So they're going to keep pushing further north. Climate change is what is going to drive the next wave of global migration. You think we have an immigration crisis now? Wait until you see what's coming in the next 10 years. When more and more places and more and more people have lost their access to their, their culture, more and more people can't sustain themselves where they live, we're going to see a wave of migration that we have never seen before. And we need to take steps now to start planning. We need to take steps now to start mitigating what is likely to happen. The projected number of migrants arriving from Central America and Mexico rises to 1.5 million a year by 2050. Are you listening to me? From about 700,000 a year in 2025. 2025 is five years from now. 700,000 from Central America and Mexico. It's going to be 1.5 million a year by 2050. Are you all hearing me? If we continue to harden our, border, our borders and people are turned back, economic growth is going to stop in Central America. And as it does, people won't have anywhere to live, even when they move to the big cities. As the population in Central America surges and the rural parts become blanket and empty, the birth rate is going to rise. Poverty is going to deepen. And you know what happens when people get are poor? They get hungry. 
hotter weather and less water, then those urban spaces are going to have to do what? Control water. That version of the world leaves tens of millions more desperate, and people are going to feel as if they're trapped. What's going to happen? War. Most of humanity will devolve into war. You know what happened with the coronavirus? And I'm going to end on this. You know what happened with the coronavirus? Look at the coronavirus as a test run. Look at the coronavirus scientists are now looking at the world's responses to the coronavirus as a test run for what could happen if a global situation happens. You can anoint me and call me a prophet, but in the year 2010, I had a radio show called The Faith Hour on local radio here in, 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 in Southfield, Michigan. And I said that what are we going to do, listen, if a global catastrophic event were to happen that would impact everybody in the world? Would we be concerned about where you come from? Would we be concerned about what sexual orientation you are? Guess what happened? The coronavirus happened 10 years later. At the time when I said it, people were like, oh, never happened. Uh, go back to buy my Starbucks. Uh, I'm going to go back to watching what I'm watching. We didn't even have Netflix. wasn't even prevalent yet in 2010. Here we are. The coronavirus came. And the whole world went, oh, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. We shut down our borders. Do you realize that? The first thing we did was seal our borders off. And then we realized we don't really have a national plan because the current president in the United States crapped the national plan. He didn't think it was needed or necessary. At the time, it just looked like he was trying to eliminate everything his predecessor did while he just walked out on the White House lawn and strolled towards Air Force One because, you know, Marine One, because he thinks that that's what being a president is all about. You've got to have a national plan. The coronavirus proved that we don't have a national plan. We don't have a national plan in none of these countries of the world. We look at our cities and towns and we look at ourselves as if we are all powerful, but we never had a national plan. The coronavirus proved to be a test run. One of the things that it certainly proved is that the first thing countries are going to do is shut their borders down. The next thing they're going to do is to tell law enforcement, don't have people congregate. When people start congregating, open fire. That's what we're going to find out after this. You realize that now, that we're going to find out that directives came to tell law enforcement to open fire on people because you can't have people congregating because if people congregate, it's going to lead to the spread of the virus then you realize that there are going to be some wicked people who are going to say, well, maybe we can use the virus to control certain groups of people. The coronavirus was a test run on our humanity. Trust me, right? Uh, we do not have, we have the capacity in terms of resources. We just don't have the human, I hesitate to say, we just don't have the human capital. We were unwilling as human beings to step up and use the resources that this nation has to avert the catastrophe that the coronavirus could have become and did become. The only way to mitigate the most, to mitigate this mass migration that's going to take place is you have to plan. And how are we going to do that? We're going to have to employ 
human capital. By the way, this report I'm reading, the scientists who did the investigation had been doing it for over 20 years. One of them died in 2010. They first published their report in 2010. That was 10 years ago. And here we are living it out. So I know that for some of us, for many of you, you're never going to believe in climate change. You're going to see climate crisis. And we're always going to elect governments and people who don't want to see. But, but, but let me ask you this. At what point are you going to ignore the data and the facts? How long are you going to walk away from the fact that this is in fact happening, that the world is warming up? And I ask you to consider that. I'm going to leave this report for you to read. You can go to my pages on Twitter and Facebook to find a link to the report on the New York Times. Read it for yourself. Break it down for yourself. Make it applicable so you can see your role, that you have a greater role to play than you think is happening. We've got to make changes, and we've got to make them now. I don't know about you, but my 18-year-old, who will be 68 in 2050, 50 years from now, she'll be 68. She's going to hold me accountable that what did you do, Mom? About that, what did you say? What did you do? I don't want to be alive to hear this giving commentary that that generation is going to leave for us. My name is Harriet Kimmick. Thanks so much for your support. Go to my website, harrietkimmick.com, as well as go to my pages on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Make sure you're streaming us on iHeartRadio, right? Thank you so much for that, as well as get my book, Through the Fire available on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold anywhere in the world. Thank you so much, everybody. Today is Tuesday. Keep watching the news. It's going to be interesting when the president lands in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.